This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 196 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show. Dr. Doctor, please support our wonderful sponsors as they make this show possible. Question collections for all of your equestrian shopping needs. Equity Manufacturing, home of the coolest manure fork ever invented. Kentucky Performance Products, scientifically proven supplements for your horse. And Draper Equine Therapy Products, made in the USA for you and your horse. Find them all at StableScoop.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Well howdy Helena Hey Glenn, how are ya? So I noticed the guest you booked for today was involving human health, specifically equestrian human health. And I assume that's been on your mind since you had your surgery last year. It has been on my mind. Yes. Well, it's kind of hard not to be on my mind when I hobble around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, um, this is a fellow that we've had on the Stable Scoop show before. Um, Dr. James Warson is, um, when he was last on Stable Scoop, he was working with a, a company called Thinline. So um, many of you may know Thinline pads are very popular in the equestrian marketplace. They're great pads. And we talked about um, some American Indian projects that he was involved in. And we'll post links to those past episodes, which are pretty cool. But today, you know, so he, um, Dr. Warson has all these, he's, he's got the, his fingers in all these pies and he's um, just a wonderful horseman, uh, a philanthropist, but we forgot that he's actually a doctor, a real live surgeon. And uh, so we're going to talk to him today about really what he knows best, which is cutting people up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Thank you very much for booking somebody. You know, every Wednesday morning on the morning show, they try and gross me out with the medical stuff. And here you go. Now you're adding to the pile. I think they called you. Gross is cool. That's going to be my new motto. Gross is cool. Great, great. I used to look forward to this show, too. Oh, well. All good things come to an end. But before we get to that, you had a great weekend last weekend. Tell everybody. I really was just so surprised. You know how picky I am and how hard it is to impress me. Well, I was impressed beyond my wildest expectations. We had Daniel Stewart come and do a clinic here in Rhode Island last weekend, and it was so much fun and one of the most effective eight hours of learning in the saddle that I've ever had. Um, honestly, I we, we um, he focused on, usually Daniel does a two-day clinic, which involves a video analysis of the riders, and then what he calls the psycho clinic, where, so the first part of the clinic, the, the first day of the clinic, he does um, y- your position, biomechanics of riding, right, all the physicalities of riding, and then the second day, he deals with the mental side of riding. Well, we only had time to do the one day, and it was just really, it was so much fun. He's such a positive, um, articulate which, coach. Which day did you do? We did the video analysis. Okay. So um, what we all do is we had a, a flat group and a jumping group. It's, it's a, he keeps the group small so that you can, you can actually learn something. So we had um, about nine riders. We had a flat group and a jumping group, and he videotapes all of us at the same time, walk, trot, canter, and over some small fences. And uh, so the first hour is just taping us. Then we go into um, – we went into a, a room. In our case, it was a conference room with the, the TV, and he plugs in his video camera. And literally, each rider gets freeze-framed through our rides. And, oh, my God, when I saw myself, I was like, oh. <laughs> it was it was like my stomach, dropped. It was just sickening, like looking at my my 
back and and my arms and my legs. I was just a mess. (laughs) But it was really, really helpful because his uh, approach to learning or fixing your problems is he says you have to see it to solve it. And I was like, well, how much really is it going to help me to see myself on video? Yeah, I'm going to know what I'm doing wrong. I'm going to see that my leg isn't quite far enough back or maybe I have a broken line from bit to elbow. But the visual of exactly where your body needs to be. And then he matches up that visualization with keywords and then puts you back in the saddle for another hour and a half. And it works. I mean, it works. It was really good. Now you, uh, (laughs) were you more shocked? You were obviously more shocked than you thought you would be. I thought it was going to be great because clearly he is, Daniel's at a level. um, No, I meant your video. Oh, God. (laughs) No, you know what? I knew knew it was going to be bad because don't forget, I've not been riding really seriously since over a year. And um, so my equitation is shot. My body is weak. Only one leg works well. Um, But it wasn't my legs that really was the biggest problem. It was my shoulders, my, my chin, my jaw. Um, now, is he doing this in front of everybody else, too? So you're learning yep. from everybody's? Yep. Which makes it extra more embarrassing. Uh, I, was, it wasn't, I wasn't embarrassed because... Because um, everybody else is getting critiqued. <laughs> every, but it, and the thing is, is it, there was no negativity. Yeah. He, the way he outlined it and pointed out different things was, okay, here your leg is um, just you know a little too far forward, but it's not just the leg. Here's why. And then he'll go to show you your body position higher up and how... A change in one place in your body completely, you know, changes the rest of your body's position. So it was, um, like I said, it was just, it was a very positive. There was no negativity at all. Like, you know, looking at your, your video frame, you say, this is bad. Th- that never happened. It was, here's how your body needs to change in order for you to be more effective in the tack. And do you, did you find that, um, were you able to then to go out and try right away what he talked about or not? Yes. Yes. And how hard was it to, to correlate what he talked about into actual, you know, into actually doing it? Well, hard, hard is a a strange word because, (laughs) um, it wasn't very hard at all because once you could see it, once you saw what your body was doing, he would give you keywords based on whatever imperfection he found. So you had those keywords in your mind and um, you'd be riding around and he'd say he'd give you the keyword and you would focus on that part of your body. You know, um, you know, for example, if you're sitting too far back in the saddle, he, he gave us something that said thumbtacks. You know, imagine that you have thumbtacks in the back of your saddle. And so if I was a little bit too far behind the vertical, he'd say something like thumbtacks. And then I would correct my position. And so what happens is as you're riding, these little key words stick with you. And you start to feel when your body is in the right position, it's really easy. The riding part is easy. The hard part was creating new muscle memory because these are all bad habits. So your muscles have bad habit memory. So... Creating new muscle memory was very physically demanding for all of us. Even my, the two trainers that were in here who were practically perfect in their position were getting their tushies kicked. <laughs> he is so good, too. I saw him in a, uh, in, in a, in a non-ridden clinic one day where he, everybody was on the ground. And you're absolutely right. He's so positive. He's so uh, – he just – and he's so upbeat that you just feel good listening to him. You know, you do. Just, he, you do. You know, I've seen some clinicians who just, you know, who are basically ripping you apart the whole time. And y- yeah, you may learn something, but you're going to feel miserable when you leave. And and that's not the way you feel with him at all. At all. The the, the greatest value when I walked away from this is um, what he does best. What really makes him worth his salt is that um, he gives you the tools to take what you learn in his clinics and incorporate them into your daily riding. So it's, he's not just a one hit wonder and yes, it's positive. And I, 
you know, I was kind of like, oh, all this positivity and, you know, give me something really I can bite into. And he does. But because his delivery is so positive and is so articulate that um, it's incredibly effective. It's quickly effective. There's, you know, this isn't a feel good Pirelli type of thing like, oh, lovey dovey, love your horse and everything's going to be great. This was, yeah, you need some hard work. But um you're capable of doing it. This, the the sports psychology part of him is essential to the biomechanics part of his teaching. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's holistic. It's sort of like a a holistic approach to riding. And you don't have to be a competitive rider. You can be a recreational rider, but you are most definitely an athlete. And he he talks to the athletic body and the athletic mind. Well, I'll tell you what. That's that's interesting. So you recommend him to anybody if he's coming in your area. You'd recommend no, him. I don't recommend him to anybody. <laughs> you want him I all do for not, yourself? <laughs> I do not want to share. <laughs> You're keeping him? <laughs> I do not want to share. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I would recommend the clinics. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> and where, what's his email or website address again? Uh, StuartClinics.com. You can, you can Google Daniel Stewart. He is also, as some of our regular listeners know, he's written two books, but um, the first one that came out was called Ride Right Which with Daniel Stewart. Which I don't think it's available anymore. Um, it's, yeah, I know he has copies. You can get it from, from his website. So go to StuartClinics.com and you can find out more information or send me an email, Helena at network. Dot com, and I'll give you all the details on the Daniel Stewart Clinics. All right. Very good. Well, I'm glad you had a good time and learned something and got to got to get improved. And Grace was there, too. Did, did she find the same thing, your daughter? She did. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. yes she's yes, only, yes. what, 10? She's nine. Nine. She's nine. And he had her fully engaged in the, the whole time. I mean, we were really impressed. And he was just so gracious and accommodating. And there, nobody felt like, oh, because I'm not as good a rider as this one or, you know, I, there was absolutely no... And that is a problem at some of those clinics because you get the more advanced riders with the beginners and it just it, it sometimes never works. It, you know, sometimes it's to the detriment of the advanced riders because they're teaching at the beginner level. Uh, so he was able to overcome that by oh doing... Oh my gosh. Yeah, by it, doing the Incredibly videos. smoothly. There was no... You didn't feel the um, disparity in, in, te- in skill, I guess. At cool. all. Well, very yeah. good. Well, I'm glad for you. That's good. And it's good to see you back in the saddle again. Oh, gosh, yeah. Now, if I could only find a horse. <laughs> <laughs> the ever going. You know, since we started this show three years ago, you've been looking for a horse. I know. I've been looking for a hors for like 13 years. <laughs> All right, let's call our guest, can we? Can All we right, call let's our- do that. We'll get our guest on the line right after we take a break for Equestrian Collections. We'll be back to talk about equestrian, equest- yes, equestrian medicine. Well, I'm here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm here with Debbie from Equestrian Collections. And Debbie, we're going to talk about a program you have that a lot of people don't know about. That's right. You know what, Glenn? One of the biggest things people pull their hair out about with online shopping is the shipping. So we have come up with an idea where people can have unlimited shipping. They sign up for our unlimited shipping program. We have two options. The one-way program where you have unlimited shipping one way. That is, if you order from us, all of your shipping is paid. That costs only $29.95 per year. And we also offer two-way shipping. Now, this is $49.95, and we not only pay for your shipping to you, but if you have a return, we pay for the shipping back to us. So for only 50 bucks a year, you have unlimited free shipping coming and going uh, to Equestrian Collections. So this is, this is a program that is so user-friendly, and it is our customers just love it. Wow, you spend you you actually place uh, an order every two months, and you've paid for this very easily. Oh uh, gosh, yes, uh, you can place one order and pay for it. Especially, I mean, the one way is only thirty dollars, twenty nine ninety five. It's a it's a complete win win situation for our customers and for us as well. Sharon, on your website, on the comments section, posted: "This is a fantastic idea. Amazon Prime offers the same thing, and I always take advantage of it. I now purchase more frequently from Equestrian Collections because I save so much money on shipping costs." Well, we love that, and thank you so much, Sharon. Um, I did want to say that. Um, 
This does have a few stipulations. It's for continental United States only. It's unfortunately not at this time for our international customers. So I did want to re- make sure that uh, they understood that. So if you live in China, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's EquestrianCollections.com. You actually go to the homepage, and right down in the middle, you'll see a, a, a banner ad about the unlimited shipping. Click on that, and you can go sign up today at EquestrianCollections.com. Welcome, Dr. Warson. Thanks for joining us on Stable Scoop today. Thanks for having me. Now, you know, equestrian medicine is not something I've thought much about as an entity of it, you know, in and of itself, but certainly medicine as it relates to me as an equestrian has been on my mind quite a bit. So is this a new, uh, you know, does equestrian medicine exist outside of my brain and your brain? Tell us a little bit about the, the, the term equestrian medicine. Well, actually, um, equestrian medicine is one of the oldest disciplines of medicine. Hippocrates, about 400 uh, B.C., uh, in his writings, described that the the horse was a useful tool for physicians because uh, people that had been injured or had diseases where they'd been uh, bedfast for long times, that sort of thing, uh, could get up and get moving and get kind of the rhythm of walking and movement back by riding horses. And they also used them back then to console people that had incurable diseases. So you're dealing with something that um, is about 2,500 years old, actually. Wow. Okay. So how is it then? um, I mean, I think this is a perfect time for us to start talking about um, what it means to today's riders. um, Because... The equestrian can be defined as many different things. It could be someone who takes a trail ride every now and again, all the way up to someone who's competing in the Olympics. So, um, sure. you know, what do you see the most? No, well, first of all, t- tell us, we, we introduced you a little bit, but wh- what are, are you a practicing physician now? Yeah. And, okay. uh, let's put it this way, uh, if rider health isn't on your mind, it's going to be more so because the rider population in America is aging. Uh, riders are getting older as the baby boomers uh, are getting into riding, thinking, wow, this is my last chance. Um, and so what we're seeing in the uh, horse industry, basically the, the biggest piece of that pie chart is a middle-aged woman who is riding uh, recreationally, most often a quarter horse and western tack, on uh, uh, trail riding and recreational type uh, riding. Uh, As these people are aging, they're encountering the normal processes of aging that uh, could slow them down and perhaps uh, get get them out of the saddle if these weren't addressed. So really my job is simply to uh, um, diagnose and treat those uh, diseases that occur as a consequence of riding or that occur that may uh, uh, remove uh, uh, a rider from the riding population if not addressed. This also has to do with the development of of the rider as kind of a biomechanical entity when we get into competition. Now, and I just wanted to mention too, I, I think we failed to mention that you're a neurosurgeon, correct? Yeah, I was. I, uh, I, I kind of, uh, th- that's how I started out, and uh, I did a lot of spine work, and um, once I'd had three spine operations, I kind of devoted virtually my entire practice to spine and spine care, and because of that, in northern Colorado, I was known as kind of an in-depth uh, person in the horse industry, so people with bad backs were showing up in my office, and uh and toward the end of my uh, operative career, probably 70-80% of the people that showed up in my office as patients had some uh, relationship to the horse industry. Huh. That, that, was, that was my next question, is what do you see the most coming into your office? So you're seeing a lot of um, back issues. And now, are we talking trauma-related back issues from riding or uh, repetitive stresses? Well, both. Um, um, spine, no question. The center of equestrian medicine, as it were, is spine. And, uh, you know, I used to be the volunteer doctor at horse shows, this sort of thing, and saw a lot of injuries, this sort of stuff. And a lot of people would show up saying, 
when my shoulder is killing me or knee is killing me or ankles hurting or, you know, these sorts of things that occur as a consequence of riding. So I kind of uh, broadened out of spine into other areas to take care of these problems. Now, uh, I, I get, I, I'm interested to know of, of those patients, and I realize that everybody's different, but of those patients that you saw, how much of it was correctable by you in, in surgery or, or, or in medicine, and how much of it was just, we talked about training earlier, how much of it was just bad habits in the way they were riding? Um, boy, I, I, that's a good question. I don't think I ever apportioned that. I think usually what I saw was a combination of both, that a health problem and their adaptation to that problem, say back pain, uh, made them ride in an improper manner. And very often that made the pain worse. So I, I, I think they're related. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, do you think that, so how do people find you? I mean, do you, I, I would love personally to be able to go into, I mean, I, I recently went through a complete ACL reconstruction, which was an incredibly traumatic experience for me because it, uh, this type of injury um, really threatened my quote unquote career as a rider. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I went through, you, so you, you you look for a, well, who's the right surgeon, who's the right doctor, who do I go to? Um, and it was really difficult for me to communicate with my surgeon because he had no horse experience. And, and funny enough is while he was um, an orthopedic surgeon who specialized in sports injuries, particularly in ACL reconstruction, um, equestrian sports was something he knew very little about. And yet the recovery process for an equestrian is very unique. So how do you find someone... How do you find a surgeon who <laughs> knows what you're talking about? Uh, Are they you know, out there? <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, uh, the, the medical profession is, and in general is hopelessly ignorant about the physical requirements of riding horses and not only what riding horses can do to a person's body, but how you get them back. Uh, I would dare say that uh, of the patients that came into my uh, office uh, uh, well in excess of 95%, maybe 98% of them were able to return to riding. So that that wasn't the problem. The problem was figuring out what that individual patient needed, what was wrong with them. Like, uh, okay, you, you had an ACL reconstruction. Uh, the anterior cruciate ligament um, is a common injury in uh, uh, equestrians. And uh, it, it, as a matter of fact, uh, most equestrians uh, <clears throat> acquire progressive ACL injury not from riding, but from dismounting improperly from the horse. Yeah. That's exactly how Helena got it. Her horse helped her dismount properly. Yes. <laughs> now the horse helped her, but yes, it was. Yeah. It well, was uh, by, that, to dismount that into a ditch. <laughs> but uh, uh, we we see these uh, younger riders uh, dismounting, especially from English saddles, it seems, and they kick their feet out of the stirrups and they land on a straightened knee. And there's nothing that'll shorten the life of your ACL quicker than that. Yeah. So that's your tip. That's actually a good tip of the day, isn't it? When when you're dismounting, make sure that when you land, you're, you're you bend your knees. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, they, they, they teach paratroopers to do that. They tell the paratroopers never land on a fully extended knee. Never let, never do anything. I mean, skiers. It, and you know, the thing is, is if you grow up as an athlete trying different sports, yeah. um, you learn. You learn how to protect your knees, how to strengthen your quadriceps and your hamstrings in order to keep them protected. But there are certain things, you know, for example, that I wasn't aware of, just that a woman's physiology predisposes her to ACL injuries because, you know, the hips are wider and the, the, uh, femurs tend to angle in and all this stuff. And, um, but you know, that, that sort of, that speaks to preventative medicine. Uh, it's again, what you said was yeah. it's the communication is knowing what the patient needs and, you know, well, yeah. And uh, a lot of times it has to do where I'll actually have to watch the patient ride and many times uh, what I would do, uh, like today, I, I recently uh, finished a, a training camp up in Maine with uh, uh, Paralympics riders. And, uh, uh, I mean, if, you're, if your hat ever goes off to a rider, it's the Paralympic riders. 
And um, what we did was we'd examine them, take a good history, and then we'd examine them on an equisizer, which uh, exactly mimics the movements of the horse. And so I was able to see their riding technique and muscularly how they'd work, and then we'd put them on a horse and see how that worked. And so it, it sort of sometimes requires a combination of all three to really get what that individual needs. Hmm. Interesting. Frankie's so going to be very excited to hear his yeah. equisizer uh, being used in so many different ways, too. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because, thankfully, my, my physical therapist was um, – she was a really good listener, and she did a good job at taking my explanation of the biomechanics of riding and then creating exercises to help me develop the strength specifically for that, for that body movement. Um, but the um, equisizer – would have been absolutely perfect. And I said, you guys need to invest in an equisizer, you know, and they've got millions of dollars worth of machines around. And I said, you know, this one is a fraction of the cost of some of these things and they could bring your equestrian athletes back into the saddle so much faster, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but, but here's the thing. Here's the question. You're, so where are you based? Excuse me. Uh, where are you based? Where are you based? Living now. Yes. In Fairfax, Virginia. Okay. So if I wanted to go, if, if I wanted to find an expert in equestrian medicine, right now I would find you. I would give you a call. Are you available for consultations? You know, if I have a specific back injury or back problem and I really want to consult with you, how would I, how would I do that? Well, uh, just that uh, you could contact me at, uh, a, say, jjjf1 at aol.com. Um, or by phone at 808-640-3526. I, I actually answer phones, unlike a lot of doctors, <laughs> because, because I'm dealing with uh, equestrians, and, you know, that that's a very special uh, patient population. Okay. And uh, but I, I get uh, emails sent to me every day by writers from all over the world. Just got one from somebody in New Zealand with a problem. And... Uh, uh, a lot of this can sort of, you, know, you sort of go back and forth and you get a feel of where this person is and what they're doing. And, and you, uh, for example, these people in New Zealand actually put saddles on standard breads that have come off the trotting track. And if you didn't know how a standard bread uh, moves, you possibly would kind of strike out dealing with this patient's problem. But um, uh, they're basically driving horses and they're riding driving horses. And uh, uh, there's some special requirements of the back and pelvis if you're going to do that satisfactorily. Well, that's huh. interesting because I'm looking at adopting one now for riding and driving. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. How are uh, standard breads for ACL? Yeah, now you got us both interested here. <laughs> well, wait, wait, wait. Hold on a second. I, the reason I had asked, Dr. Warson, is because um, right now you're the only physician in the United States that I know of who would understand the unique needs of of equestrians. So what you're saying is that you are available. If somebody wanted to contact you, consult, maybe have a meeting with you, you are available for that. Yeah, yes? sure. Okay. I mean, All I'm right. not just, uh, uh, you know, I, I work with uh, a lot of things. I work with individuals. I love working with the Paralympic riders, uh, especially the here are disabled people who are riding and I know uh, maybe they get, they get out of a motorized wheelchair. And you think, you know, how can this be? And they get on a horse, and they ride a horse very, very beautifully. Mm. And uh, they are so happy on that horse, and the horses tend to be pretty happy with them, and they have a beautiful bond. And uh, I love working with them and kind of improving their riding, and uh, it's all dressage in that particular instance. And I love working with dressage riders especially because there's no dressage rider that I don't have something to offer to. Hmm. Okay, so now let's get back to standard breads because Glenn and I both want one, and <laughs> yes, we're both all exactly. broken. <laughs> we're both broken. Yeah. So what do we do? What's unique about okay. it? Okay, uh, what's unique about a standard bread is that they, uh, uh, as a driving horse, tend to be long back. Right. And so the uh, the, the hind end is kind of you know uh, further behind you <laughs> than it would be, say, at a, a short back. Yeah, horse. we call it we call them the family the horse. Them. Yeah, that's right. Yep. They're like a station wagon. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> sure, you could line up the whole neighborhood on the back of yeah. the standard bread and probably have room for one or two more. Um, so uh, th this is a, uh, a 
problem uh, in in how the back, how the kinetics of the back work on a standard bread, uh, because uh, and each one of them is a little bit differently uh, set up. But in general, they they don't couple up. They they don't round their back as well as other horses do, because now and on a trotting horse, who needed them to round their back? Really, they they, they didn't, especially if they were a pacer. And uh, so. Uh, they, there, there are some problems riding them, which chiefly have to do with the kid. They don't get their hind end under them very well, and uh, so as a result, you you kind of lose the hind end, you lose contact with the hind end. And, uh, uh, it can be kind of a rough ride for you at times. I've seen some uh, uh, standard breads uh, with people riding them that was sort of a, a bitter experience. On the other hand, uh, if they do have a well-developed hind end, if somebody's taken uh, time to really put uh, effort into their hind end, uh, they can be a pretty smooth ride. Huh. So what's most affected then? It's the back? Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in equestrian medicine, basically it's 80% of the spine and pelvis. Yeah. And the other, the, the knees would, would come second and uh, hands would be third. Huh. Knees second, hand. Yeah, I mean, the back is, and there's, there, you know, your back muscles too, and and it, you know, this is something I learned in the Daniel Stewart Clinic this weekend is, you know, how to use your body effectively. And when you're not using it effectively, one area tends to take so much of the brunt of whatever yeah. it is you're doing. And, um, you know, and the lower back needs to be strong, you know, and I, I've seen it's funny because, you know, in the last two decades, there's been this focus on core strength, you know, since Pilates came on on the scene and, um you know, just abs and crunches well, and all that stuff. But I, but it, what I learned in this clinic was that there was a lot of lower back, a lack of lower back strength. Do you see a lot of absolutely. lower back injury? Absolutely. I, I want to tell you, uh, people strengthen their back in the wrong manner. First of all, when we ride, we don't ride isokinetically. We ride isometrically. Our muscles are set up in our spine so that we can maintain a vertical posture sitting on the back of the horse. And we hold that posture for prolonged periods of time. And what happens is you see people in training and like athletic clubs, and they have them doing reps, doing repetitions mm. and uh, crunches. Well, it, these will pass the time and these will amuse your trainer, but in fact they won't do you a bit of good as a rider as a rider, what you need to do is rehabilitate and strengthen your spine in a manner that strengthens your static, your isometric strength. And mm. uh, um, I, and I found that even, uh, I'll, I'll take very experienced equestrians and discover that they, uh, and who virtually all of them would have been complaining of back pain, which is why <laughs> I got them in the first place, yeah. and uh, uh, put them on an equisizer, and then you discover that uh, basically we have four muscles that hold us up when we sit in the saddle, and they'd be weak in all four. And uh, so they'd be trying to compensate for these by doing very strict movements. And you have to say, well, you know, I'm sorry, you're just out of gas on these. You're going to have to strengthen up. Well, let's talk about that. Let's. T I want to talk about specifically if you have a if uh, some recommendations of some exercises that, you know, because yes, you go to a trainer and they want reps. They want a lot of reps. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's talk about yeah. maybe a one or two specific exercises that we could do just on our own that would help develop that 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 back strength that we need for riding. And we're going to do that right after we take a break here for a commercial. We have to take a commercial break, and we'll be right back with Doctor Warson. Well, Draper Therapies is our newest sponsor here. We had Kat on last week. It was so much fun to speak to her. But she gave you some product to try out, and I want to hear how it worked out. Well, um, she had given me product to try out a while ago. And uh, it was a hawk boot because my retired quarter horse, Zeke, has um, very severe arthritis all around. But he has um, an old injury in his left hawk that's really problematic. He's been really lame on it. So, um, you know, we do different things for him. We do some injections. We do IV injections, and then once a year he gets a hawk injection. But I really would like to give him some, some kind of supportive therapy um, that goes right to the joint. I, I am a believer in supplements, but I'm also a believer in the technology behind the Draper Therapies products. So I had this hawk boot for him that was 
great, but it was too big. And he's, he's a little quarter horse, so it didn't quite fit, and I wasn't able to get a chance to really use it. And then more recently, Draper came out with a smaller-sized hawk boot, which, of course, fits Zeke perfectly. And I've really had a chance to put the technology to the test. I've already used it for myself, and this is the first chance I've had to actually try it on Zeke, who, who's who got the world's biggest, ugliest, ouchiest hawk. <laughs> and um, so they're really soft and cozy on the inside. Um, they're well-designed. They're stretchy enough so they're not restrictive. They perfectly fit a smaller horse's hawk. Um, and they stay on. I put the boots on at night when he's in his stall, and he has a hard time getting up. I mean, he, you know, when he, he's laying down, and he snoozes, man. He goes out like a light. So when he gets up, it's kind of difficult for him, and that's typically when whatever wraps or, or boots I have on him come off. Now, this thing has stayed on through whatever he's put them through. And in just about under a week's time, I've noticed a difference in the amount of fluid or swelling in the hawk that's that it comes and goes you know it, it gets really big and full of fluid and then the more he moves around obviously the more the fluid works out um but i've noticed with just this change alone just the new hawk boot there's been a significant reduction in fluid in that hawk and you put it on just at night we tried it around because he's so quiet in turnout um i tried it out during the day and it, it's fine on him it stayed it wasn't a problem but i like I do kind of like having it on him at night because it sort of fits into our routine better. And, uh, you know, if he does feel good enough, he wants to have a little gallop around the field. He doesn't have to worry about, you know, this restrictive hawk boot. So I have been putting it on him at night, yes. And, of course, uh, Draper Therapy's products are known for the help in the reduction of pain. And also, you know, in this particular case, you've seen a reduction in the size of his hawk because of uh, the problems he has. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the whole idea behind the Draper products is to increase that oxygenation in the blood, which just helps everything. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect from Zeke, but um, that was the first thing that I noticed. Now, over time, and the, one of the things that I like to do is have sort of a control. I like nothing else to be going on. So he's not on any other supplements right now at the moment. He's not had any injections yet. He's not had, um, you know, he's due for his yearly arthritis treatment, I call it. So he's not had anything. So right now, the only thing that is working to improve that hawk is the Draper boot. And yes, I've seen an improvement. Well, that's terrific. And of course, you can find all of the Draper products at drapertherapies.com. The Draper Equine Therapy Hawk Boots are uh, are $75, actually. And that is well worth it. These things also will last you a long time. That's the other thing about the Draper products is they're, they are made to last. Yeah, they're um, really well made and comfy. I just, the fleece, the material that they use on the inside is so soft and cozy. It just, you know, it does, you know, it's almost like a spa treatment. I really, you know, people must say to me, do you own stock in Draper Therapies? And I really <laughs> don't. I, I swear to you, I don't. But it's just, you can tell that there's real thoughtful, design into these products it, it's it's a cozy little boot very good drapertherapies.com well we're back talking to dr james worson who is an equestrian medicine specialist and a neurosurgeon and uh, previously as well and and done a lot of different things uh, we're going to talk about a, a little bit of a different thing that he does uh, on on the side too we're going to talk about galahad golden warrior a little bit later but first we were talking about you know, developing how how we have to exercise a little bit differently than other athletes do where other athletes are doing rep after rep after rep. And that's what their trainers in the gym are telling them to do. But you're saying that we need to do some different exercises for our backs because of riding. What, what would some suggestions be things that we could do at home? Okay. Uh, first of all, um, I've had people doing these for about 30 years. And, uh, that was the folks from Trafalgar square publishing approached me, a few years ago, several years ago now, and they said, you know, you need to write this down and memorialize it because you're the only person that's ever rehabilitated uh, riders uh, for riding, and, you know, someday you're going to pass away, and this number, this knowledge will pass with you. Well, I thought, isn't this a great marketing ploy? But <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I said, okay. So they assigned me uh, a writer, Amy Hendrickson, and we wrote a book called The Rider's Pain-Free Back. And uh, I'll put in a plug for it uh, strictly because that book contains about the 30-year synthesis of what exercises work for riders 
and what ones don't and why they work and, uh, you know, the various uh, ways in which you do them. But basically what you're doing is, let's say, uh, let's, let, let's talk about uh, an exercise that you would do that's the wrong exercise for you, a sit-up and crunches. Well, makes makes you look pretty good. I guess if you look in the mirror and you see a six-pack sitting in there, uh, that may be what you want. But the fact that the rectus abdominis, that's the name of the muscle, it's a six-pack muscle, is one of the four muscles that we use to hold our back vertically, but it's not a terribly effective one. And uh, it looks good. Um, and so if, if you're doing crunches to build up your rectus abdominis, uh, you're missing the fact that there are three other muscles that we use that are much more important in positioning and holding our body in the saddle. And um, so instead of uh, uh, doing crunches, uh, what you might want to consider doing a lot more would be leg lifts and holding the leg for a prolonged period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will develop the isometric strength in the muscle behind that, sort of in the back of the abdomen, called the iliopsoas. And the iliopsoas will uh, is a very important muscle riding, and uh, it'll keep you in the saddle a whole lot longer. Uh, Sally Swift, in her books uh, Center, on Centered Riding, went into the iliopsoas in quite a bit of detail, and she was uh, really good, very knowledgeable about it. I enjoyed talking with her about these kinds of subjects uh, in the past. Unfortunately, Sally is no longer with us, but her wisdom is still here. Yeah, she. My, my wife loves, you know, was a was a Sally Swift uh, follower for sure, and has all the books. And that's centered writing is really well. I know that she must have talked to you about centered writing when you were taking lessons with her. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She she. Tur- oh, I, she converted me. I mean, I've got all the Sally Swift books, and of course, I preach centered writing to everybody I meet who will listen these days. Um, but, you know, the thing that I'm really finding interesting that Dr. Warson is saying is the uh, development of the of the specific muscles for riding. It's, um, you know, one of the things that you, you use for a good whoa, one thing, one of the things I've always been taught either for half halts or for breaks is to engage your abdomen, you know, engage your core. Um, and... I've always said, oh, geez, God, I've got such a weak core. I've got such a weak core. So then I do exactly that. I go to the gym and I work on stomach crunches and I work on, you know, my lower abs and stuff. But it sounds like and, – and I'm thinking to myself, but my woe is not getting any better. <laughs> and my six-pack isn't yeah. looking any better either. So, <laughs> you know, so what – you know. Well, that's that's true. And the fact is that you uh, need to revise your uh, your way of exercising from doing reps – to the exercise that you do should be, uh, think of it this way, as doing holding an arm or a leg against gravity for prolonged periods of time. Right. Because what you're doing, when you're in the saddle, is you're holding your body against gravity for prolonged periods of time. And that's where your strengthening needs to occur. Right. It's like stabilizing. You're, you're pretty much, it's balance and stabilization. And so if you find these, and that's why yoga, I do find, helps. Yo, because it's that combination of balance and muscle strength for stabilization. That has um, actually yoga has yeah. become very popular with professional riders today, and I'm, I'm sure that's why. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yoga is essentially isometric exercise instead of isokinetic, and so they're developing not only flexibility but also the ability to hold positions for prolonged periods of time. And yet there is some uh, reactivity in yoga, and uh, it's it's very good. You, you'd be, let's put it this way: if you had an hour a day, uh, and you had a choice between doing yoga or going to the gym and doing reps with a trainer, you're better off in yoga if you want to be a rider. Huh. That's there's your money shot right there. Yep, <laughs> there's your money shot right there. We can edit out the rest of it's the show. Probably cheaper than the gym membership anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, take. Take the gym membership and, I don't know, buy a new saddle or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Now, what? Um, let's go back to spine injuries and spine problems and surgery 
for the equestrian? Because I meet so many people who say, oh, I can't ride anymore because of my back or I've had to change my discipline because it's my back is too painful. How effective is surgery for um, the most types of, of spine problems that you see? Does Like you said, you do get certain people back into the saddle. How, how does that work? How effective is it? And what can people expect when they have spine problems and then they go to see a surgeon? Well, uh, first of all, when you go to the, the uh, general spine surgeon, uh, you may be out of luck because these guys don't know absolutely anything about uh, riding horses. So let's remember that riding horses is a unique human activity, and they don't teach one minute of it in medical school or internship or residency. These people are clueless. They're good people. They do know how to do their work. They know how to do the operation, but the operation, uh, if you need one, and the, most of the patients that I saw did not need surgery. Most of them could be rehabilitated without it. But uh, even when you do an operation on an equestrian, you have to know uh, when to let them back in the saddle, uh, uh, when uh, which exercises to do it in what sequence, and you need to know kind of where they should be a particular continuum from the day they leave the hospital until the day that they're back in the saddle full time. And uh, uh, these folks are better treating uh, this stuff in terms of the operation, but uh, and they can treat your operation and get you better there, but they, they can't get you back in the saddle because they have no idea what it takes to get in the saddle in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. Discouraging but true. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, uh, the U.S. equestrian team has um, uh, an orthopedist or two sort of going along, and that's great. I think they should have someone there to treat the injuries. But uh, what I do uh, strengthens people to hopefully prevent the injuries, number one. And number two, they prevent them by making them a better rider. I like that. So prevention. Um, and the other thing is co- consultation, you know, if you have a back problem, find somebody, you know, start with Dr. Warson and say, where do I go? And, or even if that conversation leads to better communication with your surgeon or your physician, um, you know, I, I even see you, Dr. Warson, as sort of a translator and helping the average patient or the average equestrian um, communicate what they need better with their with their physicians so that they can make a good decision because like you said, not everybody, not everybody actually needs surgery. Um, Wouldn't it be nice to be able to solve your problem and get back in the saddle without it? Yeah. And in fact, most equestrians do not need surgery, but uh, Mm -hmm. the ones that do need surgery, uh, you know, they're, they, they got to have it. And they may have really bad conditions like a completely ruptured disc or uh, a congenital condition like spondylolisthesis or certain arthritic conditions that have to be corrected by surgery if they do want to continue riding. Um, And uh, then it has to be done right. And uh, the surgery is a minor part of it. Uh, You could train monkeys probably to do about 50% of those surgeries. Uh, (laughs) They're pretty easy. I think Uh, I've been to some of those monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, uh, well, you know, look at it this way. Now, you take 100 doctors, you put them in a room. 50 of them are below average. Do the mm-hmm. math. Yeah. 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 Well, and, I... Uh, so, so very often what I do is uh, uh, I'm happy to, to talk with an equestrian who has maybe had a spinal fusion or something like that. And uh, I can suggest sort of where they ought to be at a certain point in time and what they're doing. If, they're, if they and their physician will communicate with me and just say, gee, you know, I did like a two-level uh, post-lateral uh, fusion, something like that on this patient, uh, uh, and they want to write again, uh, uh, what do you suggest? And uh, you can generally get them back. They're, they're not, it's really not difficult because... Equestrians are some of the most motivated and disciplined people on earth. They're just absolutely the greatest patients uh, that you can I, ask for as a doctor. I will say this, though. Being a horse husband and, and seeing my wife get hurt many times and, and other people around us get hurt, one of the things that equestrians are, especially equestrian 
women and men both, but the women especially, is they're impatient. And they want to get back in the saddle like two days after a major surgery. They just want to get back in the saddle. That's all that's on their mind. That's what they want to do. Do you see that as a – has it been a problem in the past with your patients that they're getting back in the saddle too soon without the proper therapy? No. In fact, I use it. You know, uh, let's go back to Hippocrates. We had a lot of patients who, on whom we would do a fusion and uh you know uh i i would go back to to these original writings and i had a lot of patients that would come in and maybe they were ranchers or this sort of thing and uh, they the question was always how soon can i get back in the saddle and you sort of had no kind of what was going on inside there and what you had to do to fix them and they're feeling pretty good and very very often we'd use hippocrates advice and say tell you what just take an old gelding that'll walk and you start off at a walk, like a trail ride, and you get on it, and you walk around the uh, corral, and you'll see how quickly you tire out and that sort of thing, but you can build up there, and then maybe you can hit a trail, and then maybe you can do like a jog, and uh, finally about uh, six weeks out, you'll be loping, uh, and uh, uh, we would actually use their desire to get back in the saddle to get them back in the saddle early enough for the horse's walking motion, if they had a nice old uh, dependable gelding, and they all seem to have one around, uh, and just uh, let them go out on a trail and walk. Never had a single problem from that. You know, there's a, a word that comes to mind that I heard a lot of times from my, my surgeon, and that's compliance. You know, whatever your surgeon tells you you need to do, a lot of how quickly you get back into the saddle or back to your sport depends on what kind of patient you are and how compliant you are with their um, their instructions for, for rehabilitation. And you're right. you It is motivating. You, you you know, as long as, they like they say, as long as they tell you, yes, you can get on an old gelding instead of saying absolutely no riding for six months, it's like, well, you know what? No riding for three months, but then, and for, you know, around month four or five, you can get on at the walk, and then maybe at month six, you can do some, you know, sitting trot or whatever it might be. Uh, that is a big yeah, deal in coming back to your prior, uh, you know, riding strength. Yeah, look, these people got to me in the first place because a well-intentioned but uninformed doctor said, "Oh, your back hurts. You got to quit riding." Yeah. Well, you might as well tell the sun not to come up tomorrow. Uh, the next thing they did was they started looking for me, and they'd show up in my office. And the story was always the same. Their back hurt. They were in back pain. And their physician uh, had told them that they needed to stop riding. And here they were desperate. They had, you know, a $15,000, $20,000 uh, show horse, and they had several thousand worth of tack and training and this sort of thing. And uh, some guy who had no knowledge but thought he was responsible to say something, said what he thought was right, which was quit writing, but it, it just wasn't going to happen. Well, I, this has been fascinating. I actually looked up your book. It's The Rider's Pain-Free Back. It's on Amazon. It's uh, $19.77. Uh, and and uh, you've had... Uh, uh, se- uh, You've had many reviews, actually, and it's rated at four and a half. So you must, uh, you you have some people really liking this book. Well, you know what? That's the first book I ever wrote, and uh, unbeknownst to me, the publisher entered it in the 2007 uh, Horse Industry Book Competition, and uh, it won third place. And it's the only book that was ever entered in the horse industry competition that wasn't about horses that ever got an award. <laughs> it was about riders. Right. Well, I got to read this one review to you to tell you something. It's, it wraps up everything we've talked about today. I purchased this book sight unseen and really did not expect to be it to be as substantive as it is. The author is extremely knowledgeable about both riding and riders' back problems. I wish that I had been able to read it years ago. I re- recommend this book to every rider, not just those with back problems, since it provides a lot of information on the aging rider's back, and none of us can turn back the clock. Prevention is worth a ton of cure. So that, that I thought that was a very good uh, review of the book right there and really does wrap up what we're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's really important uh, that, uh, uh, you know, here you take a, uh, a bunch of truly motivated, excellent, and well-informed people, equestrians, and I think that medicine in general let them down in the past 
by just not thinking about the uniqueness of equestrian activity in terms of, of the requirements of, um, that it makes on the human body. And um, other than uh, Hippocrates and one or two fellows that wrote some stuff, uh, well, there was uh, some stuff written about 100 years ago, and then curiously enough, uh, the, uh, the German cavalry in the 1930s, there were some German cavalry officers that wrote about uh, the body riding and body kinetics. Uh, and those books are a little scary because the illustrations have these guys riding around in Nazi uniforms. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, they're, they're dead on in terms of their, their, their concepts. Um, medicine... I, I'm, general medicine will never really catch up with this. It's pretty much a niche-type thing. And I got into it because of an in-depth participation in the horse industry and being in the back business and some pretty desperate but well-informed and well-motivated patients kept showing up in my office saying, please help me, and here I am. Well, Helena, we have to take a little break from this. We're going to take another break for a commercial here. When we come back, uh, there's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and that is Galahad Golden Warrior, because uh, Galahad Golden Warrior competed in what is now becoming a very upcoming discipline uh, that combines two worlds, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Hi, everyone. Glenn the Geek here. Kentucky Performance Products has become a favorite of many listeners of the Horse Radio Network. They have a product that we want you to consider called Contribute. Take a listen to episode 14 of the Tack and Habit radio show, and you will hear a complete discussion on this product with Delia from Kentucky Performance Products. Contribute is the omega-3 fatty acid supplement that is so important to your horse's well-being. Contribute helps maintain soundness and longevity by protecting joints from damaging inflammation and sustains a strong immune response in horses of all ages. Learn all about omega-3 and 6 fatty acids and why they are so important by listening in at TackAndHabit.com, episode 14, or go to KPPUSA.com for more information. That's KPPUSA.com. There is a new sport in the horse world that's coming up that really combines two disciplines that have been completely separate before, and that's Western riding and dressage. And you happen to be the owner of the... What, the second Western dressage horse in the world, Galahad Golden Warrior? Tell us about that, yeah. how that came to be. Well, I just got through riding him a couple hours ago. I ride him all the time. Um, Galahad's Golden Warrior is a saddlebred, and I, as far as I know, it's the only saddlebred that ever uh, trained up in Western dressage. Up to this point, it's been pretty much a Morgan thing because the discipline was invented by uh, an Israeli uh, man named Eitan Beth Halachene. Eitan is one of the finest horsemen you, you could ever imagine. If you ever have a chance to go to a clinic that he gives, don't pass it up. He's a natural, intuitive horseman. He is also in a field where creativity is sometimes wanted. He uh, it is uh, an artist himself, and he is a wonderfully creative individual. And so what he did... Uh, using his natural showmanship techniques uh, that he has, he took uh, the finest uh, parts of reining and uh, combined them with the best movements of dressage that are crowd uh, pleasers like uh, piafs and massages and that sort of thing, and put together um, Western dressage. And uh, uh, years ago, Aton and I used to take uh, these... Uh, Two horses. Uh, there was Galahad's uh, Golden Warrior, and uh, uh, then he had his horse, uh, and uh, we would uh, uh, take them to these various shows, like in uh, Boise and uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, places like that. And uh, we would exhibit them uh, doing this. Um, it's it's wonderful. It's a combination of reining and dressage. It's done to music, usually Western music. Uh, uh, Golden Warrior being a uh, champagne, we, we used uh, a lot of times the Yellow Rose of Texas, and uh, he needed he needed uh, pretty strong music with a good beat behind it, and uh, you would get out and uh, he'd ride either uh, uh, Trigger, as we call Warrior, or his uh, horse was Holiday Compadre, 
And uh, these two horses could really, they were great crowd pleasers and great entertainment. You know where I saw him first, don't you, was the opening ceremonies of the World Equestrian Games. Mm. He was yeah. he was a, one of the highlight performers of that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, what most people remember him for from the World Equestrian Games is he collapsed. He had heart issues, and uh, he ended up in the hospital. He fell off his horse immediately after he was done at the opening ceremonies, and, and uh, they carted him off, and he had some heart issues. But what an amazing rider. And you would never, if you didn't see the saddle, you would not have guessed he was riding in a Western saddle. Yeah. It's a... Uh, uh... In fact, I think that's the saddle that Ellen Babella gave him, um, and it's a it's a custom saddle for him. Uh, and you know, Aethon is a very lucky man. He's, he's had he's had great luck all of his life. It's uh, it's uh, nice to be lucky. It's nice to be good, but it's best to be both. And when Aethon <laughs> fell off his horse with his heart attack, he fell at the feet of a retired doctor of emergency medicine. Who pronounced? Who did immediate CPR on him and saved his life? Yeah, the paramedics were right there. You're right. If it had been another, they said if it had been another five, ten minutes, he probably wouldn't be with us today. Yeah, he had had some heart issues in the past, and uh, you know we had talked about that. He always felt like he he was he was safer with a uh, physician being along. And I said, well, that's great for you, Aton, but what about me? What if I crump? <laughs> 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 we don't care about you, but can I have your horse? <laughs> That's funny. Well, we're going to talk. We're going to have to do a show on Western dressage here coming up, uh, Helena, and talk more about that. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you have a website yourself, or or should, uh, is it the book that we really should be sending people to? Uh, probably the book. Uh, okay. I tore down my website because it just no longer served a useful function. We're, we're in the process of rebuilding one. Okay. And, well, we'll make uh, sure that our listeners have your contact information. We will share with anyone who's interested. If you contact us, uh, Glenn and I will have his uh, Dr. Warson's email address as well as his contact phone number. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We need to have him back. He's just so interesting and one of a kind. One of a kind. And uh, man... I wish I'd known that he, and the funny thing is, is we knew him. I know. I just didn't know he knew all this stuff. <laughs> we I knew would him love for that. a different reason. <laughs> I, I spent so much time trying to plan what I was going to say to both my surgeon and my physical therapist to figure out how and when I was going to get back into the saddle, but not so much that, but how, what I needed to do to help my body heal in the right way in order to continue riding. I mean, it's all nice to be on the ground and own horses and feed them and love on them. But for heaven's sake, I liked Yahoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, occasionally you need to ride. I was surprised at his answer of what I asked him about the riders trying to get back in the saddle too soon. There's the difference between a guy who knows the value of horseback riding and a surgeon or a doctor that does not. Who are yeah. saying you can't get in? You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't get back in the saddle. You you shouldn't do that, or even therapist. So, you know, which is funny because look at uh, like you said all the therapeutic riding centers, what right. they do, and the Paralympics, what riding actually does to help the body heal. It's so it's really just ignorance on the part of the physicians to say, oh, you know what, your back is shot. No more riding for you. And let's not forget, you said you know you you, you said something, it, the things that make the body heal, but also in the riders, it's the mind. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's for the riders. Exactly. It's a hundred percent your mind and maybe 2% your body. Exactly. Cause your mind <laughs> really wants to get back in that saddle probably before your body does. And we, you know, I remember talking to Tammy, um, Tammy Strauss, the host of the Western radio show is, you know, your body, um, tells your mind when it's ready. Your body tells your mind when it's ready. So it's like when you're in that acute healing phase, your mind knows very well that you should go nowhere near your horse. It's you need to do that. And then as you heal, you get more antsy. You, you know, you you're like, all right, I can do this now. I you, and it's your body telling you that it's time. So I think he makes a really good point. You need to listen to you need to maybe get back in the saddle a little bit sooner. Listen to what your body's telling you. Uh, but we're not a doctor, so don't t- listen to anything we say. Just no, contact Dr. Warson. We will <laughs> we will provide his email address and telephone number, even if you just want to give him a call for some advice or, or maybe he can help you find a physician, a, 
somewhat knowledgeable physician in your area. We'll uh, make sure that you have his contact information. That's it for this week. We're going to be back again next week. We have uh, a part two of a show we started last week, so you can look for that. Plus, next week, we're going to be talking about the cutest little babies that have been born this year on any farm in America. That's coming up next week on the show. If that's not a tease, I don't know what is. But let me tell you, we're talking the cutest little babies ever, and they've sent me pictures of all of them, and it's like, oh, oh my God. God. We're oh talking my God. horse babies, of course. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be next week. In the meantime, you can listen to all of our shows, all of our past shows, too, almost 200 of them, at stablescoop.com. All the links to our sponsors and our guests you can find there as well. Don't forget that. And also, don't forget to sign up and and follow us, subscribe to us uh, in iTunes. You'll get the show automatically downloaded to your phone or to your MP3 player or to your iPod or iPhone by just subscribing to us through iTunes. You go to the podcast section of iTunes Store and you just search for Stable Scoop and we'll pop right up at the top there and you just hit subscribe. It's that simple. I think that's it, Helena. That's plenty for today. I'm tuckered out. <laughs> we'll see you all again next week. 